We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a Tuesday afternoon edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. McWhalen back with James Anderson. Uh, James, it's good to talk to you, man. It's been a while. We've been on kind of a semi-hiatus uh, since the NBA season ended uh, with the podcast uh, as, as we normally do. But uh, plenty to discuss with the Las Vegas Summer League uh, starting up over this past weekend. That continues all the way through this coming Sunday. Uh, I will be out in Vegas. Alex Barutha will be out in Vegas. Uh, much of the company will be in Vegas starting this weekend. Uh, but James, you, you, you're foregoing the trip this year. Uh, I, I assume due in part to the fact that we have terrible timing with the MLB draft coming up this weekend. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's kind of annoying that they moved the MLB draft to the all-star break, at least from, from my standpoint. But um, I'm kind of on a, I'm on a, like a every other year Vegas type of uh, yeah. thing right now. So um that's all right. I'll, I'm sure you guys have a great time. Yeah, I mean, you're you're a homeowner, you're a, a dog owner, you're a married man. Uh, you have you have a lot more uh, a lot more going on uh, than I do. Although, uh, as a as somewhat of a co homeowner, uh, although my, my girlfriend the ho- the house is technically in her name, but we've had some uh, had some furnace issues, we've had some AC issues. Uh, we we had a, a small house fire a couple months ago, so uh, it hasn't exactly been smooth sailing here. But that will not keep us uh, from Las Vegas. And I, I want to begin. I, I was telling you. You know, kind of off air, we've been chatting about uh, pretty much all of the the lottery picks from the 2022 class, and it feels like with with a few notable exceptions, um, you know, we've had a couple guys who've been injured. Shaden Sharp got hurt like five minutes into his first game. Same with Dyson Daniels. Jeremy Sohan uh, from the Spurs is in COVID protocol, so we haven't seen those guys play. But uh, pretty much all of the other relevant rookies have made some sort of impression, uh, positive or negative, mostly positive. Uh, it feels so far. Uh, either in Vegas or in the California or the Salt Lake City Summer Leagues, uh, which took place before Vegas. But I, I want to start with with Chet Holmgren, who 
I, I know Bancaro's look really good, and I'm interested to see your thoughts uh, on Bancaro. I know you you anointed him your number one guy heading into the draft, but I, I've kind of planted my flag with Chet Holmgren, and you know, with all of the usual caveats that it is only summer league, and you know things are going to change when you're you're going up against Jokic and Giannis and Embiid uh, instead of Taco Fall and Kofi Coburn, but I, I think Chet Holmgren looks even better than I expected even with acknowledging, you know, that this is not the greatest competition in Vegas. Yeah, I think he's been better than I expected to. I mean, he's kind of been, I mean, he's basically just been sort of the best version of what you would have hoped he would have looked like. Like I, I'm not blown away by anything he's doing, but this is definitely sort of the high end of how I thought he'd look right away. So, uh, you know, I, I prefer uh Boncaro for uh real life but I I probably prefer Chet Holmgren for dynasty and for you know maybe not redraft but uh I think there's a case to to prefer him for for this upcoming season and uh he's just he's just a guy who's just going to fill up every part of the box score uh so that that part of it's pretty exciting I think I've been more impressed defensively with Holmgren than, than offense. And, you know, he had a couple of highlights. I think it was the, either the last uh, Salt Lake game or the first Vegas game where, you know, he had that kind of Dirk Durant looking turnaround jumper. He was kind of going behind his back, creating space, pulling up from three. I, I think the jump shot looks like it's made progress even since Gonzaga, but defensively, I mean, the blocks that he's getting coming from the weak side, flying in, you know, pinning balls against the backboard, um, and just using, like, I think he uses his size really well. He's, he's still going to get bullied around. Uh, you know, Kenneth Lofton from the Grizzlies had a couple times where he kind of just shoved him under the basket uh, and laid it up, which that's going to be a problem early on in his career. But I think he uses his length really well. He's done a pretty good job of avoiding uh, serious foul trouble. And he's he's already kind of got that, that two-handed, like, volleyball block down, which you really don't see a ton of that in the NBA these days. So I, I think the fact that he's already um, – trying that and, and seems to have somewhat perfected it uh, bodes really well for what those shot blocking numbers could look like uh, even as soon as his rookie year. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's almost sort of the, like he's, he's going to be a great sort of stats defensive player, like the, the blocks, the steals, uh, they're going to be pretty eye popping during the regular season. I think that, you know, at the very highest level against the very best guys, I don't, I still have questions about whether it translates, but uh, whenever he's playing against a inferior opponent, um, whether it be from like an athleticism standpoint or, you know, just a guy, a guy who's not strong enough to bully him or not athletic enough to finish over him or around him. I do think he's going to have a lot of success. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, no slight on, on my guy, Kenneth Lofton Jr., who's uh, been one of my favorites uh, in, in the summer league. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Holmgren, like, to me, what's probably stood out the most, I mean, because, like, like you said, it's, you know, when you're blocking shots like that against summer league guys, it's totally different than doing it against the best finishers in the NBA. But um, I think what I've been most – happy to see is just how good the jumper uh, looks like it's going to translate. Like I, I sort of, you know, I was kind of iffy about whether he would be any better than like a Brooke Lopez, Miles Turner type in terms of stretching the floor. Like obviously 
you know, those guys hit threes at a high enough clip where you want them to keep shooting them, but they don't hit them at a high enough clip where the defense is, is all that worried about giving them those shots. But I think what he's shown in the early going at least kind of opens the door for him to develop into a good enough shooter where that's just a, a really deadly part of his game. Right. I think that's that's an important distinction. Is it, It's not a situation where he can stretch the floor and it's something that you, you just kind of have to respect, you know, like, I don't know, like a Miles Turner. It's like, this is a, I think this is going to be a weapon for him. You know, it's somebody that you do not want shooting threes under any circumstance. Um, you know, and maybe that's not the case right away, but I think down the road, uh, he's certainly heading that way. Um, one thing I will mention on Kenneth Lofton, by the way, devastated to find out that he's not Kenny Lofton's son. I don't know why I thought that. I just assumed based on the name all this time. And I, I think I was too scared to check and find out the truth. Not related <laughs> at all, at least from what I've seen. No, he's not. I mean, I, yeah. I didn't think it's he to be was. True. I didn't think he was because of just the, the body. Like you couldn't have <laughs> a more different body than yeah, two right. Kenny Lofton's, you know? So I, I didn't, re- and like, he didn't really look like him at all in the face. Yeah. And, look, I don't, I don't know uh, what Kenny Lofton's wife looks like. All right. I'm not, I'm not going to make any speculation. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I, you know, Kenny Lofton uh, was a, was a wildcat basketball player back in the day. So it, it, right. it could have been possible. Yeah. He's got the, the bloodlines. Um, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. I, I believe it was Eric name. Now of the athletic was saying on a, on a summer league pod earlier this week that I was listening to. Um, and you know, he, Again, he he used all the usual caveats that you have to use when you say something like this, but he said like, you know, one of the the kind of vague comps for for Holmgren is Giannis. And and part of that is because we just don't see many guys with that kind of length and that kind of skill set. And he said like, think about where Giannis was at this point or at this age in his development versus Holmgren. And I mean, I, again, chances that Holmgren becomes the best player in the league and then adds that much strength and and you can do all the things that Giannis can not good, not good at all. I'm, I'm fully acknowledging that, but an important point, nonetheless, especially when you consider the jump shot, you know, of just how far Giannis came uh, from, you know, the, the next three to four years after his first summer league versus where Holmgren appears to already be. Yeah, I, you know, I really don't like the comps with Holmgren. Like, I think the comps are either too lofty or too insulting in either direction and I think it's just fine to have a guy where there isn't a good comp and he's just his he's a completely unique player but I think that that goes back to the thing I yeah I was kind of getting at that with the shooting is uh you know just because he's hit some you know he's he's looked really good as a shooter in a few uh summer league games doesn't mean it's going to be an awesome thing for him but I think the fact that he's sort of showing this much this early as a shooter is, is certainly promising all right, so let's get to Bancaro, who apparently played so well that the Magic just decided they had seen enough. They shut him down after two games in Vegas, uh, averaged 20 points per game uh, on about 41% shooting and 30 minutes per game. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say Bancaro had quite as many wow plays as as Holmgren did, but I think you know the more you read and the more you listen to, a, a lot of people are, are saying that basically Orlando saw what they needed to see, and they you know got enough reassurance in about 60 minutes of action for Bancaro uh, that they made the right pick at number one. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know who's going to be better out of Bancaro and Holmgren, but I I think Bancaro fits what the Magic needed more than Holmgren would have because I think, you know, you're always kind of searching for that bigger 
primary ball handler to really anchor your offense and kind of fill in around that player. It's just, it's, it's really like the toughest thing to find offensively is, is sort of the oversized ball handler. And uh, I think he's certainly shown that that's a strong possibility for him Uh, very much kind of up in the air as to how efficient he'll be as a, as a shooter, but uh, the size is, is a big time game changer. I mean, there's a very small amount of players that are 6'10 who can handle and pass like that. So uh, I think that the jumper, like especially from the three point range and uh, especially off the dribble, that'll probably be what determines whether he's, you know, an all NBA guy or just an all star. Uh, I also think, you know, part of why I, I ended up kind of liking him the most before the draft is I, I just sort of started thinking that there's no reason why he couldn't be a, a better defender than people were giving him credit for just looking like people were looking at his sort of lack of effort at Duke and just assuming that that was just going to be a, a thing. But I think we've seen with a lot of other guys that, you know, you just some some of the premium prospects just don't really try that much on defense in college because they just can't really be bothered. But I mean, if he if he, I, I think I also think he's really smart about like how to how to play the game, and um, I think he's pretty self aware. And if you know if he wants to be a first team All NBA guy down the road, he's going to have to be a, a a strong defender given. Uh, his size, and I think he he showed some flashes flashes of that already in summer league. Just being able to be a uh, a rim protector. I mean, he's he's so big that he just doesn't really have any excuse to not be at least average defensively. And I think that if he can get to sort of above average defensively, then that could just be a real game changer. I thought watching him in Vegas, he reminded me even more of Carmelo Anthony. And, and that was one of the comps that, that people threw together, you know, during his time at Duke. And I mean, it, it really looks like, like young mellow in a lot of ways. And I, I think the athleticism is fairly comparable, you know, both guys who are, are, are fine athletes, but, but not blow you away uh, in any stretch of the imagination. Um, and the other thing that came to mind is like, I think this is what Jabari Parker should have been. You know, I, I'm still, I'm still ruining that pick from the bucks. I don't know what draft was that 2014. Um, but, you know, I, I think the, the playmaking uh, is a little more advanced than we probably gave him credit for. We got to see a little more of that toward the end of the season at Duke, but um, yeah, overall very encouraging. Um, you know, I, I think I, I still would lean toward Chet long-term. I think there's just like some next level specialness with Holmgren that I, I don't know that Bancaro can get to, but it's also looking right now, like, you know, Bancaro is, is certainly off on the right foot. What are your thoughts on Jabari Smith so far? I, I wouldn't say it's been a, a, a poor debut for Jabari Smith. And I think he's been just fine. I think he's had some really good moments. Uh, he definitely looks like a, a big time NBA prospect out there. He just stands out. He's long. He's super athletic. He moves really well. Um, but I would say of the top four picks, including Keegan Murray, he's probably been the overall least impressive so far. And and more than anything, I think that speaks to how well the other three have played. Yeah. I mean, I think Bank Harrow is kind of exactly what I expected. And Jabari Smith's kind of exactly what I expected both you know, for good with Van Caro and for kind of, you know, whatever with, with Smith, I think uh, he just doesn't have the type of game that's going to look good in summer league. He's a, 
he's a supporting piece right now. Like he's not ready to do anything off the dribble. Uh, and I don't know if he will be anytime soon. I mean, he kind of, I mean, if you got, if you got McCall Bridges with the third overall pick, would that be bad? Like, I think that'd be fine, especially just kind of given what the Rockets need. And yeah, I just, I don't buy him as this secondary option. Like I, I think, I think it's more likely I'll bring Shengun's the Rockets secondary offensive option than Jabari Smith. I just, I think he's a, a knockdown shooter, a versatile defender, but I don't think he has superstar upside the way that Bankero and Holmgren do if you, if you really squint. Yeah, I mean, based on summer league games, I guess I'm not quite ready to rule that out, but I, I think you're right in year one. I mean, even watching him in summer league, he's the number two option behind Josh Christopher. You know, I, I don't yeah. know that he he doesn't he doesn't really command the ball or, or command that kind of attention in the way that, that Bankero does. And, you know, Holmgren's a, a different guy completely where it almost feels like um, – you know, he'll, he'll just get the ball and go and, and make things happen. And he, he gets a lot of points just being around the basket, you know, not somebody you need to be controlling every single possession to make an impact. And, and Jamari Smith doesn't have to do that either, but yeah, I, I think in year one, I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I ranked him as like the number one fantasy rookie doing part to the landing spot. But I mean, the more I think about it, like if they're keeping Kevin Porter jr. Around uh, Jalen green, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, he'll be the, the unquestioned number one guy. Jay Sean Tate is back. Shangoon. Is it a bigger role? I mean, Josh Christopher could be the sixth man for this team. Um, he could take a, a much bigger role, especially if Eric Gordon is gone. Um, I, I could kind of see a, a situation where Jabari Smith ends up floating a little bit. And, and that doesn't mean that he can't be effective, but there's just, I don't know. There's, there's something missing there, I, I guess, as of right now. And he could very well develop that um, in terms of just, you know, looking like someone who commands an NBA game. Yeah. And I, I gotta admit, I'm already, I do think it's already kind of in play for the Rockets to uh, have a little bit of regret in terms of, I guess I have no idea how much time they put into, you know, doing the full scout on Jabari Smith. I assume that they, they covered their bases there and everything, but like to me, Ben Carroll and Holmgren are in a tier and then Jabari Smith, and Keegan Murray are in a different tier. And yes. I think it's already in play that Murray could end up having a better career than Smith and could have ended up fitting better with this Rockets team. I, you know, I, I'm not saying I would have definitely taken Murray uh, knowing what we know now, but I think Smith is closer to the guys like Murray and Ivy and Matherin than he is to Van Carroll and Holmgren. As of right now, yes. And, and again, it is Summer League. We've seen a lot of really good players play poorly in Vegas. We've seen a lot of really bad players uh, play really well in Vegas. So I, I'm really trying to, you know, to, to take a step back and, and look at this big picture. But, you know, you're right. I mean, based on what we've seen, I, I think Jabari Smith looks like he's closer to Keegan Murray in terms of overall impact. And, I mean, I, I think I like what I've seen from Murray more. I mean, in terms of mentality, like he – I mean, he's taken – he had like 23-point attempts across two games – um, I mean, he's, he, he's one of those guys who, you know, it doesn't really feel like he's, he's taken over. He was not doing anything fancy. He's not, you know, putting guys in a blender or crossing you up. And then all of a sudden it's midway through the third quarter, you look up and he has 18 points, three, three pointers and seven rebounds. You know, I, I think, I think that's maybe the type of player, um, that, that he's kind of portending to be, 
uh, at this point. I, I think, you know, Harrison Barnes is on the Kings roster, but I could see Keegan Murray uh, developing along those same type of lines, you know, being a guy who on an average to below average team could maybe be the second or third option and, and put up some pretty good numbers. Yeah. And I, I kind of comped Murray to Barnes a few months ago. I think when we were kind of first talking about this class in terms of just sort of what I thought he would probably be, but I think he's got a chance to be better than Barnes defensively, uh, especially for fantasy. Like, you know, Barnes is just a super boring, like three category guy for fantasy. Whereas uh, Murray with the, the steals, you know, if he can average a steal a game and a block a game, which might be possible, then all of a sudden he's, he's super interesting. And, um, you know, Murray, what, what's he like two and a half years older than Smith? Like, I don't want to, yeah, he's, I definitely he's don't want to overreact here. Like he should, he should kind of look better than Smith, right? If one guy goes four, one guy goes three, and the other guy is way older, like that guy should look better. Uh, but at least you sort of know that you kind of know what you have. You feel good if you're the Kings that you at least have a starter starting caliber NBA forward, it, it would seem. And so, uh, I definitely think that they got too much heat from people. Like people just react to these. They see like a mock draft or they see a a big board on ESPN. And when a team doesn't follow that, they, and it, and they have a poor track record, like the Kings, you all of a sudden assume, oh, that's a bad pick, you know, but I mean, I, I don't, I think that they made the right pick uh, going Murray over Ivy, knowing what we know now. And I think if you intend to keep De'Aaron Fox around and apparently, you know, develop Davion Mitchell, who I, I think personally should be playing in summer league. I think the fact that he and Jalen Suggs are not playing um, and yet Isaiah Stewart <laughs> going into year three is playing uh, is, is a little bit strange, but yeah. um, you know, Suggs, if, Suggs, if that's your backcourt. Suggs, Suggs especially. Yeah. Suggs not playing. I assume he was, crazy. yeah, I think they gave the choice and he, he was just like, nah, that, that would be too embarrassing. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I would like to see him. I mean, he's, he played poorly enough that he should absolutely be there. Um, but no, I, I think you're right. The Kings I, had the Kings taken Ivy. I would have felt the same way. I would have been like, Oh man, yeah, he's going to go be a bust there. And I, I think everyone just assumed the same. Um, but you know, the Kings have drafted poorly. They've been worse than most teams, but you're still going to get hits every now and then. Um, and, and again, I think if you're backward of the future as of right now is De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell, I don't know that Jaden Ivey is a great fit there. And in a draft where you still feel like you're getting really good players at four, five, six, seven, um, you know, taking a guy who who fits your core a little bit better over maybe the guy with the higher upside in Ivy, I, I don't have a huge problem with that given the situation. No, not not at all. I think uh, I know we talked about this when we recapped the draft. I think that this was a really fun draft because so many players seem to land where they fit best. And I think that was especially true with Ivy going where he did and, and Murray going where he did. So you texted me yesterday evening, uh, unsolicited. I rewatched Jalen Green's rookie highlights today. Going to be going back to that well early and often in fantasy drafts. Um, and I asked you how early exactly. And, you know, you said maybe the fifth or the sixth round. I think there's going to be enough hype around Jalen Green. There's always hype around second year guys, especially guys who played well. Uh, over the course of the second half of the season. Jalen Green was awesome down the stretch. I, I think in, in fantasy drafts, we're going to see Jalen Green go like middle, late fourth round. Yeah, I just wasn't sure. I, I just didn't know like 
because I is there even ADP out there right now? I don't, I don't really know. Not that I've seen. Um, no. So it's so tough because uh, when you fall, like I'm always trying to build around uh, big men early in a snake draft. Uh, so ideally, I would have you know, blocks and rebounds well accounted for with my first few picks. But um, I just – I think I, I'm back to thinking Green's going to be a, a superstar. Uh, I think that, that that draft class last year is going to be so fun to track in the next, like, five years because – I think there's just going to be a ton of swings uh, in terms of what the public thinks for the the order of those top four or five guys, because yeah, obviously like first couple of months of last year, everyone thought Mobley was the best pick. Uh, by the end of the year, people thought Scotty Barnes was rookie of the year. You, you still have a lot of people thinking Kate Cunningham's the best prospect long-term. Uh, Green showed a ton down the stretch. Um kind of looked like, you know, exactly what the Rockets wanted him to look like. I think uh, Franz Wagner is going to be one of the more underdrafted players this year. Uh, Kaminga still has a monster ceiling to me. Shangun is going to be a guy that I have on a ton of teams this year. It's just, it's kind of an all-time type of class. And I think Green, uh, you know, there's, there's some shortcomings for fantasy. Like he's, probably never going to be a, a you know a steal per game block a game type of guy but i i wouldn't completely rule it out especially with the steals but i just i still I, i'm back to thinking that he can compete for scoring titles in a few years i mean he's just he's so unstoppable uh when he has any room to to work with and you know the fact that he shot 40% from 3 from March on, you know, I think that that's, that's only going to tick up. Like, I really just think he's going to be an unstoppable scorer in the in full court and half court. Uh, so it's going to be tough to figure out exactly where the right spot is to draft him. But uh, I'm just, I'd be buying stock uh, in Jalen Green right now, because I think that a year from now, the, the you know, he's a, he's a guy that everyone's going to be uh, wanting a piece of. 22 points, four rebounds, three assists, uh, almost a steal per game, 48% from the field, 39% from three, 3.1 made threes per game after the All-Star break last season for Jalen Green. And that, that's in like 35 minutes a game, which is a, a reasonable workload. It's not like he was at 40 minutes. Um, and, you know, Christian Wood missed a lot of that time. Christian Wood is no longer on the team. Um, I, I think the addition of Jabari Smith makes them better, but it doesn't it doesn't worry me about hit, like cutting into his workload. You know, like you mentioned Franz Wagner – I like Wagner. I'll, I'll still be targeting him, you know, middle to late rounds. But I think the arrival of Bancaro does make you think twice. All the things we just said about Jabari Smith, like I'm not really worried about him, even though he's just as he has just as good of a pedigree as Jalen Green. It still feels like Jalen Green is going to be on another level when it comes to the offensive hierarchy on that team. Yeah, but I mean, I think the pieces. I think like Smith being there might actually help Green. It, rather than kind of cut into his look like because it, it's going to space that floor right like a, you know having a, a like nobody can leave him open even even as a rookie 
And so just having that knockdown shooter out there with you for 28, 30 minutes a game is going to open things up for him. And the, the fewer guys that are in the paint, the more he's just going to throw it down. Because uh, he can just – his ability to get by his man in the half court or, or basically just either get by his man or lose his man for a wide-open pull-up, like he's just always going to have that. And the more shooters you can put around him, the more easy it's going to be for him to go in and get an easy two. Uh, Ryan Rosillo was, was talking on his spot today about how, how even the bad teams are really interesting now in the NBA. Like there's just very few teams that have no hope or have like, you know, no rising young star. Um, and I feel like this draft, I think really hammered that home. You know, Orlando was probably on the borderline uh, Detroit as well. Obviously they have Cade, but um, even Indiana, you know, kind of reloading on the fly. Um, you know, Washington retaining Brad, Brad Beal. And obviously all the bad teams in the West have have something going for them, even the Kings. Um, you know, the Spurs are the one team that's kind of hitting the full reset. But, you know, depending on how the 2023 draft goes, uh, that could change very quickly for San Antonio. But I, I want to talk about the the projected hierarchy uh, in each well, conference. And, and per, actually, go ahead. Actually, just quickly, I wanted to get your take on uh, on the Thunder – because to me, this is such a uh, important thing to sort of have a, a good feel for heading into drafts because there are so many players on the Thunder that I love and that I would be trying to draft if I knew that they were just going to operate like a normal team and let their best players play and not shut anyone down. But I guess I, I'm sort of, you know, I don't know. that The fact that they've been playing Holmgren at center, does that mean that they're not going to go for Wembenyana? Or maybe with the flattened lottery odds, do they just say, you know, hey, we will have a chance at Wembenyana. It's not like we're making the playoffs. Uh, but let's just try to develop all of our guys this season. Or is this another year where they – kind of make a mockery of things over the final couple of months. Cause uh, you know, obviously you have Shea, Chet, and Giddy uh, and Dort, Dort kind of is what he is, but like, I like Jalen Williams, the guard. Uh, I like Trey Mann. Um, you know, I've always kind of wished that Kendrick Williams got to play a little bit more. So do you, do you sort of have a, a, a an opinion heading into this year, whether it's just going to be another year where they shut guys down over the final third of the season, or do you think this might be the first year where they just kind of let guys go? I do think there is some mounting pressure to not do that, but I also think OKC is maybe one of the very few teams that doesn't care and would, and would do it anyway. Um, I mean, they've already wasted two years of, of SGA's career since he arrived there. They, they basically shut down Giddy after the break last year. I think the question is like, I think they'll make a decision on the fly. The question is where are they, you know, around the trade deadline or around the all-star break? Are they, you know, if all those guys stay healthy, like maybe Holmgren is a plus contributor right away, you know, are they hanging around like the nine, 10, 11 zone in the West or even will while playing their players? Cause they're going to play all these guys early on, but even while playing those guys, are they still a bottom five team in the league? where, you know, you could, you could just kind of play it out as is and still finish in the Wembenyama zone. Um, because, you know, as much as I like Holmgren, you know, chances are he's not going to be like a major winning impact player right away. Um, you know, SGA still fairly injury prone. Josh Giddy 
wasn't super efficient last year. Like we like all these guys long-term, but I, I still don't think that even if they played their best lineups for 82 games, you know, especially compared to some of the other teams in the West, like I, I, I don't know that this team is like all of a sudden out of the high lottery consideration. I think they could play it out as is and still be in that zone. And then maybe the last 10 to 15 games of the year, you got to pull some strings and, you know, Pokashevsky starts playing 46 minutes a game. <laughs> Yeah, they do. They do still have the, the tanking cheat code in in Poku. Uh, that, yeah, I think I, I think that's a solid take. I mean, I think if, you know, first fifty games of the year, you just treat it like a normal season. Play your best guys. I mean, I think Giddy and Chet already have a pretty special chemistry, and uh, I don't think that they would finish with a top eight seed by any means, even if all these guys are healthy all season, but I could see them being in the mix for the play in if all these guys are healthy all season. Cause I just think they have uh, such a, it, it's, it's a core that's used to playing together. They, they can play fast. They're going to probably out effort you. They're going to out coach you some nights. They're really big and athletic. So, I mean, I don't, I think if, if the Thunder tried to win as many games as they could with their roster, and the Kings tried to win as many games as they could with their roster. I think they finished fairly close to each other in the standings. Uh, I'm mostly kind of asking for like a NFBKC draft champions type of format because I think guys like Jalen Williams and Trey Mann uh, could be really interesting in those types of leagues uh, just because I think they're going to be pretty good when they – like if you if you need an injury replacement, like those guys are going to be really good. But um, yeah, it would just be really, it'd be a bummer if I was a Thunder fan. Like I would, I would just kind of want them to just turn these guys loose. I mean, you have all these picks coming up. I don't think you need to do a full fledged tank this year. I think it's, I think it's time to kind of see what these guys have. Um, so that's that's what I'm hoping for. I think more than anything, it might depend on how this draft class shapes up you know if if right now it kind of seems like it's this one-man draft but you have you have scoot henderson as well and and you know as we know year after year even when it doesn't seem like a great draft there's always players who emerge over the course of the collegiate season or the g league season or overseas so you know i I think it's important to keep in mind that like the team that had the worst record this past year ended up picking third and and missed out on on bancaro and holmgren so like it's not like getting the you know you, you want to be in that bottom three obviously but there's no guarantees anymore so I, I i personally don't think it's worth you know taking an entire season just for like a 33 percent chance at getting this guy but if this ends up being a draft much like this past one where going in everybody feels like if you're in the top three you're getting an automatic great player um you know then maybe it becomes a little more worth it to do something like that yeah i mean the the only teams that i would say have a really really good shot of having a bottom three record are the Spurs. I think the Spurs are the pretty heavy favorites, have the worst record. And then I st- I wouldn't rule out the Jazz being in that mix. I- I'm still not ruling out a Mitchell trade this offseason. And the, ma- the Magic might kind of be back there. But, I mean, it's really kind of – unless I'm missing someone obvious, I really – or I guess the Pacers will probably be in that mix. But I, I think the Spurs are going to have the worst record. And even if the Thunder just – you know, turn everyone loose. They could have like the fifth worst record, you know? So I, I think, yep. I think that's the way to play it. 
So I, I want to look at the Western Conference, especially right now. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Kevin Durant. If he's able to maneuver, we'll say, his way to Phoenix. And, and Phoenix, you know, would, in that scenario – uh, would, would likely be something built around maybe an eight and sign and trade, you know, McCall bridges would likely be involved, but in that scenario it would be Durant Booker and Chris Paul together. Uh, to me, that's, that's probably, you know, the prohibitive favorite, obviously golden state will have something to say about that. They return uh, the bulk of that roster um, plus another year for guys like Kaminga and Moody. Um, you know, maybe Wiseman makes an impact. Um, so to me, those would be the top two teams. And again, we'll see if Durant doesn't go to Phoenix, um, I don't know how to feel uh, about that team based on how their season ended, but I, I think the West is, is in a really, really interesting spot. I think Utah is a team that could bottom out uh, if they opt to trade Donovan Mitchell. They, they basically gutted the rest of that roster. Um, would not be a surprise to see that final domino fall. I think we're seeing you know a team like Minnesota. Um, I compared them to you as like this year's version of the Bulls, where it would not be shocking to me if on like January first, the Timberwolves are the number one team in the West. They're going to be met with a ton of skepticism, and rightfully so. And it would also not surprise me if their season ends uh, much in the way that the Bulls did this past year. Uh, but the Clippers are, are going to be reloaded with Kawhi back. The Pelicans should be better. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Lakers. But if they get Kyrie, they're at least going to be in the mix. Um, like, do, do you have kind of a, an internal hierarchy right now? Or, or how do you kind of handicap the Western Conference specifically uh, at this juncture? Because outside of KD, like most of the major dominoes have already fallen. Yeah, I think this is just a, a great topic. Uh, I think that are we are we talking about this from a, a championship like hierarchy or a regular season wins hierarchy? Uh, I, I guess a, a mixture of both. I mean, maybe leaning more toward championship. Yeah, so I mean, for championship, I think it's it's Clippers and Warriors in a tier, and TBD on the Suns, and then. I think there's another big tier below those three teams. Like like the Clippers and Warriors, as is, I think it's very easy to see how they could go to the finals. Uh, obviously, you need you need health to, to be on your side if you're both of those teams. But just, you know, let's, let's assume the four best players on the Clippers and the four best players on the Warriors are healthy heading into the playoffs. I think either of those teams could go to the finals. And then – if the Suns get Durant, um, yeah, I mean, like, let's just say it's it's Durant, uh, Paul Booker, Miles Turner, and a bunch of scrubs. Like, I think that's still a Finals contender. Uh, and and if they don't get Durant and they just keep everyone, I guess I don't know how far gone the Aiton thing is. Maybe that maybe that's just not salvageable, but. Um, you know, if they just brought back the same rosters last year, I think they would still be kind of in that mix. But then, you know, I think the I think the Grizzlies are going to take a small step back due to some of their losses and the Jaron Jackson injury. I think the Mavericks are going to take a small step back uh, due to the the, the Brunson loss. Um, I think the Nuggets are going to take a small step forward, maybe even a big step forward. Uh, their their supporting cast around Jokic last year, I, I think, still it's underrated how bad that was. So just getting you know thirty two to thirty six minutes from Jamal Murray for sixty games or sixty five games, I think, would be huge. 
And the Porter thing is obviously a wild card, but uh, I do think they made some nice moves around the margins, uh, although they probably will miss Monty Morris quite a bit. Uh, the Pelicans, I know everyone's talking about the Pelicans as this this wild card. To me, I, I think the I think the Timberwolves are going to be an outstanding regular season team, and I think they could like them finishing with the number one seed in in the West would not surprise me. Um, and I think the Bulls comparison to last year, you know, I I never took the Bulls seriously as a team that could win the finals. Like I would have still given them like a zero percent chance to win the finals, even when they were playing at their best last year. I would give the Timberwolves like a 3% chance to win the finals right now. Um, I just think that they have so much high-end talent on that roster and it kind of all hinges on how big of a step forward Anthony Edwards takes. But, um, you know, any kind of over uh, regular season wins type of bets, uh, if you can bet on them to be, you know, top two or top three seed, uh, if you can bet on Chris Finch to win coach of the year, like I think those are all really strong bets right now because there's been way too much kind of public backlash just because of the amount of picks they gave up. Like, I don't, I, I don't think enough people are talking about just how good they're going to be on, on the court in the regular season this year. I think everyone's just hung up on this, this pick aspect and the fact that they think they got ripped off in that deal, but that doesn't like the picks that they gave up, they weren't going to help them win games this year. They might hurt them down the road, but um, I just think the Timberwolves are going to be a, a monster team in the regular season. And I think they're going to win a round in the, the postseason if people are healthy. And uh, I think that there's a, I think part of the reason I think people are kind of overrating them overpaying for Gobert is because free agency basically just doesn't exist anymore. And the only way to get guys of that caliber is to trade for them once they're under contract. And they just, they had no other way of getting a guy as good as Rudy Gobert without trading for him. And Danny Ainge knew that the Timberwolves ownership knew that. And that's why that happened. But uh, I, I think they're going to just be a monster regular season team. And um, I, I think that they would probably be in the top four with the Clippers, the Suns and the Warriors for me. In terms of regular season, I'm right there with you. I was surprised at the amount of kind of residual backlash for that deal. And, and it is a lot of picks. I get that. But this is also a team that has a future. It's not the Lakers, you know, where, you know, Anthony Edwards is not going into year 20 and like age 38. You know, I mean, they're, they're a team that has some sustainability. And, you know, you'd like to think you could get that deal done uh, maybe with like one or two fewer picks. But look, if that's the price, that's the price. And I, I think given kind of what we're talking about in a larger context, like there's not, there's not a warriors with Kevin Durant uh, team in the West right now. I think Minnesota saw a window and said, look, like if everything breaks right here, like we have a chance like that both teams that were in the Western conference finals last year, one of them, you know, we think is taking a step back in Dallas and the other one in golden state, um, you know, it's going to be really good, but you know, that core continues to age. Um, you know, a lot of the teams ahead of us in the standings are, are, are going to get worse. You know, we don't feel like Phoenix is going to be as good. Like, I mean, you, get, you also have to consider the franchise that we're dealing with here. You know, this this is not a title or bust type of franchise. Like Minnesota yeah. getting the two seed in the West and even making the Western Conference Finals and getting swept by the Clippers or getting swept by the Warriors, that would feel like a huge victory for a team that has not been remotely close to there in 20 years. 
yeah, I mean, they were celebrating the fact that they had a close first round series against the Grizzlies last year. Waving goodbye um, to the crowd. Yeah, like that's that's a huge part of this. It's it's so easy to just be you know someone on a podcast or someone on Twitter and only think about things from a championship equity standpoint and you know you know precedent for giving up that many picks standpoint but you also just you got to put yourself in the shoes of someone running that specific organization and what like what's going to qualify as a successful three or four year run for the team and uh, this is probably going to be the best two to three year run in Timberwolves history. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if people stay healthy, you know, I mean, unless I guess you can't rule out Rudy Gobert's production falling off a cliff in like two years, uh, just given his age. But if he just like compare, like think about how good the jazz were last year from just a net rating standpoint and then compare the pieces around Rudy Gobert last year in Utah to the pieces around him this year in Minnesota. Like he's on a better roster this year than he was last year. And the jazz were a top three team by net rating all year. No question. And I, I think part of this too, is like, if you're Minnesota, like obviously they're aware that everything changes with Gobert in the playoffs and that the numbers are what they are, but I think it's more of a just, like get us there. Like we can't even get to that point where we feel good about where we are in the playoffs. Like get us to the playoffs, get us a top five seed and we'll deal with it ourselves. You know, Utah couldn't figure it out. Maybe we can, we have different pieces. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think that Utah team, you know, they won a lot of games in the regular season, but yeah, when you look at up and down the roster, it was not a great roster. Like you're getting Mike Conley at the end and it's, it's looked, it looked pretty bad for Mike Conley last season. I, I think by the time he arrived in Utah, he was more of a name uh, than a you know, borderline all-star point guard. And, you know, I think Donovan Mitchell is what he is. His reputation has probably taken a little bit of a hit over the last calendar year. And, and other than that, it's, you know, aging, you know, white immobile wings in, in Bogdanovich and, and Joe Ingles and really no bench to be to be spoken of whatsoever. So I think you're totally right. Like, they're still going to encounter those same problems that Utah did with Gobert. But I think they have a better supporting cast in place to, to try to offset it. And if you want to talk about guys who – had issues in the postseason. To me, Carl Anthony Towns as a team's only big man and D'Angelo Russell as a 30 plus minute a game guard, those are bigger postseason weaknesses to me than anything Rudy Gobert brings to the table. And Rudy Gobert's strengths perfectly offset D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns' weaknesses. Like you couldn't you couldn't find a better partner for those guys. And on offense, like with him, with D'Angelo Russell, you know, like Mike Conley wasn't some great lob thrower when he was with the Grizzlies, but he kind of turned into one because of Rudy Gobert. And D'Angelo Russell and uh, Rudy Gobert are going to just have some great pick and roll moments and on offense. And then Rudy Gobert is going to clean up for all of Russell and Cat's inefficiencies on the defensive end. So I, I just – I think it's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about that trade for a long time. We'll see where, what the picks end up being. But uh, I think if I were in the position of uh, Conley and, and the, the people in that front office in, in Minnesota, I might have made the, the same move. I, I mean, obviously, you bargain as hard as you can to not give up as many picks as they did. But 
I would be excited right now if I were a Timberwolves fan. I wouldn't be, you know, really depressed about the amount of picks he gave up. So indulge me for a moment here and let's talk about the Lakers. And uh, for the sake of this argument, uh, we're going to assume that Kyrie Irving finds his way to the Lakers at some point between now and opening night. I think the most likely scenario is the Lakers cave and end up giving up one to two first round picks. And, you know, they just have to punt on the Westbrook thing. It goes down as one of the worst trades of all time. Uh, But it is what it is. And Kyrie is now there over under the, let's say, uh, let's say over under five and a half uh, as their finish in the Western conference standings. Oh man. Um, Let's see. Uh, Under, I think, uh, you know, a big part of this and, and you mentioned this to me on Slack yesterday, like, that big three, if those are your three, your three best players, I think it's it's a good enough top three to win a championship in the playoffs. But you couldn't really have a worse big three from a regular season availability standpoint. Uh, like, Anthony Davis isn't playing 70 games. LeBron James isn't playing 70 games. Kyrie Irving's not playing 70 games. And, and all three of them might play fewer than – 65 games <clears throat> and when those guys don't play the people replacing them in the lineup are going to be below replacement level because you just have no depth at all um because of the way they built that team so i i think getting Kyrie for westbrook cracks the window a tiny bit for them to go on a run in the playoffs if they catch some breaks and everyone's healthy but from a regular season standpoint, you know, they're finishing behind the Clippers, they're finishing behind the Warriors, they're finishing behind the Suns, they're finishing behind the Timberwolves. I think they're finishing behind the Nuggets. Uh, I think the Grizzlies and that's not even meant Right, Grizzlies. Like, to me, Lakers with Kyrie are kind of in sort of a, a Pelicans, Mavericks type of range in the West rather than in that upper echelon. I think you're hundred percent right. And, you know, I, I think you could pencil Anthony Davis in for 25 missed games at this point. Um, you know, with LeBron, I, I'm still, I'm still kind of on the borderline with him because all of his injuries with the Lakers have been kind of freak situations, but at the same time, they're still happening and they still kind of add up uh, on your body overall. So I think, you know, you could pencil him in for at I mean, least 15 yeah. missed games. Are, are they and, freak and situations Kyrie, if you're 37 though? Like, I mean, at a certain point, you're just old. And well, just, yeah, no. I, mean, I mean, like the, the first year with the Lakers, he slipped out a wet spot and tweaked his groin. You know, then it was Solomon Hill rolling into him. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not like he's falling apart at the seams here, but, you know, they do add up. And then, you know, I mean, Kyrie, like you also have to factor in with Kyrie, like something is going to happen, whether it be off the court, in the locker room, like it, it's not going to just be 82 games of, of smooth sailing, you know, whether he's injured or not. Um you have to factor in like all of the, the the drama, I guess, for lack of a better term that comes with that. Like it's going to be, even if they're good, it's going to just be like a laborious 82 game season to get to the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I just, I don't know what to expect from Kyrie from a games played standpoint. I just, I think you just have to assume that, 
like it needs to be about Kyrie for something. And if it's not about Kyrie for like, maybe if the Lakers started off 20 and four and it was just the greatest thing ever, like Kyrie would just, that would be enough attention for him. Like just the fact that they were the best team in the West and he could just live off of that. But if they're trending towards being the six or the seven seed, like he's going to need to find a way to, to make it about him uh, for something else. Luckily, I feel like he has a, a personal hype man in LeBron who would be you know more than happy to indulge him in that. Um, like I, 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 it's happened before he's dealt with it. Like part of me deep down, like wants to believe that, that this could work. And I, I know it's going to get derailed at some point. Um, but I think if the alternative is going through another season, trying to force it with Russell Westbrook, it's just, it's that we know for sure is not going to work. No matter what, you're not winning the title. You're, you're probably not even having a successful regular season if Westbrook is on the roster. So like, if I'm the Lakers, like you've already mortgaged 90% of your future. Like why not push the final 10% in? Like, I, I don't understand the hesitancy here. Can I, can I give you my best case? Like I'm not a Lakers fan, obviously, but can I give you like the most entertaining scenario for me personally? Um, the, the Lakers make the play in tournament and they have to face, you know, maybe the Pelicans or the Grizzlies, like a young team, uh, with a ton of energy and a ton of depth and a ton of swagger. And they like, I just, I, I need that game. I want that game so badly because it would just be uh, such a contrast in team builds and, and team styles. I mean, I hate to say it, but like there's a, a pretty decent likelihood that that happens. You know, I mean, when you start naming those other teams, you know, like it, Denver was still what the sixth best team, in the West last year with Jamal Murray missing the entire year and Michael Porter giving them like 12 terrible games. Like, like even, even in the best case with Kyrie and Davis, it, it really is hard to see the Lakers being a like definitive top four to five team in the West, just, just because of how they operate and because of how good, you know, those other teams are going to be like, there, there's a very distinct chance that they're in the same type of predicament this coming year that they were uh, the previous year. And, and again, it, it all comes back to, to injuries. Like if, if LeBron and AD play 80 games, they're firmly in the playoffs. Nobody's debating that, but that's just, that's just not how it works. Anybody expecting otherwise at this point, um, it, you know, you're, you're going to get burned. So to me, it's, it's not going to be one pick and West or for Westbrook. Like to me, the, the nets should hold very firm on both of those picks on unpro- fully unprotected because they have all the leverage like they there's like there's no like if you if you're doing that deal as the nets you're punting on this season so punting on the season with Kyrie just opting out of playing for you or punting on the season with Russell Westbrook it doesn't really matter and the lakers are extremely desperate to have a chance this season and so to me, it's it's both picks unprotected or, or no deal at all. Do you think LeBron regrets going to the Lakers? No, I think he just regrets the Westbrook trade. I, I mean, I hope so. That that's that's a given at this point. And, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they did get the title. He does live in LA. That it, it's just interesting because it never felt like 
it never felt like a sweepstakes. You know, it's not, there were no other like what if scenarios. It was just so clearly the Lakers that we never really considered like, Oh, what if he went here? I, I think he likes living in LA more than he would like living. Winning. You know, basketball games. Yeah. Like if just, if it was just, you can live in um, I don't know, Memphis for four years and be a top two seed every year or live in LA for four years, win one title and suck the other two years. I think he would take the, the LA one. Yes. But become a billionaire and get to, you know, hang out with Jay-Z and Adele all the time. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are trade-offs. No, no question about it. Um, all right. I, I want to talk about just some betting odds quick and then we'll get out of here. Um, DraftKings has expanded its offerings beyond just the, the title odds and the conference winner odds. We now have uh, full award odds for, for all the major awards next season. Um, and w- let's start with coach of the year, because I, I think this is a really fun one because you can, you kind of have to draw out your own narrative, especially at this point in the calendar when no teams have, have even come close to playing any games, you have to kind of foresee the path for, for a certain coach winning it. And the favorite right now pretty handily is Ime Udoka at plus 750. Uh, and then the rest of these guys are all between 12 to one and 18 to one. We have Taylor Jenkins, Bonnie Williams, Ty Lu, Jason Kidd, Chris Finch, Michael Malone, Eric Spolstra, Steve Kerr, Darvin Ham, Nick Nurse, Coach Bud, and Willie Green. Uh, then there's Steve Nash sitting there at 20 to one. <laughs> I mean, Steve Nash is more likely to be first coach fired than coach of the year. I think he's going to fire himself. Like if, if Durant and Kyrie are gone, why is he there? He was, he was just there to kind of be like, they're, they're like chill guy. Well, I, I don't, I think he, I think he would like Kyrie to be gone, but if Durant's gone too, then I think he would just fire himself. But um, like, so I, my pick for coach of the year last year was Ime Udoka and uh, Clay and I always make fun of like fantasy analysts who say they were a year early on a guy. Uh, but I think I was a year early on the Udoka for coach of the year pick. That said, I do, I think Chris Finch, to me, it's, it's Udoka or Finch. Um, I think that, you know, the Timberwolves get the number one seed and everyone would be like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm sure there are some analysts who wouldn't be surprised, but I think just the general voting block would be quite surprised by that development so that's an easy way for Finch to win it even if even if they're like the number two seed or something I I still think he's got a shot and then everyone sort of recognized over the final you know two months of the year plus the playoffs that Ime Udoka is a really really good coach and Monty Williams sort of had it wrapped up by the time Udoka started emerging and so I think and this is what happened with Monty Williams last year is people felt bad that he didn't win it the year before. Uh, and in hindsight, he, he probably should have won coach of the year. Tom Thibodeau. So he, they kind of counted his previous season's body of work. And I think they'll do that with Udoka this year. But I think the Celtics, like the Celtics can't just be, you know, like a 55 win team that kind of, is between the, the one and two seed. Like, I think they have to be sort of convincingly the best record in the East. And then I think it's Udoka's to lose, but I do think Finch at 13 to one is, is really nice value. Yeah. I, I think Chris Finch fits the bill perfectly. 
Uh, oftentimes, you know, when teams get dramatically better from one year to the next due to a personnel move, um, the coach just kind of rides along and reaps the benefits. And obviously he's a good coach, but um, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be better by default with, with the go bear trade. So I like that. Um, I would not bet Darvin ham 17 to one. I I don't see a path there. Um, You know, like Steve Kerr to me is like a cross off. I mean, the Warriors would have to win like 75 games for him to win it. Pretty tough to win coach of the year coming off of uh, a title. Uh, I think Willie green, is a little interesting at 18 to one. Like everybody loves this Pelicans team. It, you know, they're getting Zion back. Uh, if they pick up where they left off, like to me, they're not a team that has to blow expectations out of the water. Like unless there's another team that does that, I could see him just, you know, if the Pelicans win like 47 games and, and are the sixth seed in the West, um, even though that's not all that far off from where they finished last year, I think it'll feel like it's a big step forward and he would reap a lot of the credit for that. Yeah, I see the I see the path for Willie Green. I just don't really believe in the path. Like I think that like if he can get them to let's just say he I feel like he probably has to get them to the four seed to win. But let's say he got them to 48, 49 wins and they have a first round home court advantage that means that he really did well managing this. Cause I think this is a really tough coaching job for him because managing, you know, Brandon Ingram kind of took over that team last year and emerged as a star in the playoffs. And now you're going to be asking him to take a back seat to Zion and you have to all of a sudden re- kind of reconstruct this defense to make up for Zion's flaws on that end. So I think it's a really tough coaching job for him to get this team to, you know, above 46 wins, even though they do have the talent to get there. I just think it's going to be tough for him to make those pieces fit and kind of avoid, you know, some some upset players in the locker room from a game-to-game basis. Well, you think back to, you know, when Zion came back, I guess it would have been two seasons ago, like Ingram's numbers like immediately tanked for like a yeah. 10 game span. And then, then he, he, he kind of figured it out, but it was a little bit of my turn, your turn. And, you know, with Zion, like a, a player like that, who you're earmarking as future superstar, like normally guys like that come into the league, they're on a terrible team. They can do whatever they want, kind of develop these superstar tendencies for a year or two. And then later on the team gets better. And, you know, they've kind of already, they've already had their years where they could just be the man with, with no other competition. It, it's kind of a rare situation for Zion because, I mean, he's, he's not a rookie by any means, but he's basically played one full season of, of NBA basketball combined at this point. Um, like he's, he's in like the same spot as like a Jalen Green, you know, essentially when you, when you talk about his uh, basketball development in the NBA and he's coming back to a team that has a, an established like borderline star, a, a former all-star in Brandon Ingram and now has CJ McCollum and a team that had a lot of success without him. Like it's, it's going to be a weird situation. And, you know, it's not like you're reintroducing just any top prospect. This is like the prospect, you know, one of the, the greatest you know, uh, you know, pre-draft prospects of all time, who in some ways you kind of owe it to him to prove that he can be that. But, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they thread that needle. Can, can you guess my favorite long shot in this? Uh, like we'll say beyond mm. 20 to 1. Oh man, let's see. I have some candidates, that's for sure. I will go with. Well, is it JB Bickerstaff? It's uh, 
It's Doc Rivers at 28 to 1. What the heck? Are, are you buying into the Harden narrative? Uh, I just think it's possible that they get the one seed. And I think, you know, everyone's kind of, <laughs> you know, smart basketball fans and, and stuff like they, they sort of are well aware of, of his playoff collapses. But I think uh, there's, I think people in the media who are going to vote on this award might want to reward Doc Rivers for all the heat he's taken these past couple of years. Like if, if the Sixers won, like it wouldn't be crazy to me if the Sixers won 63 games or something this year and got the one seed. Uh, and if that happens and, you know, if they, they finish with a better record than Ime Udoka and the Celtics and, you know, the the Timberwolves, let's say they just win like 50 games and they're the three seed or something, four seed. And the Sixers are sitting there with home court advantage for the playoffs or something like that. I could see Rivers getting it. I mean, it's just – I think that's – in. I, I don't think the Sixers are winning the finals with James Harden on the team. But I could see them finishing with the best record in basketball next year. I just think they had a really strong offseason. I could see that as part lifetime achievement award, part uh, personality management, I guess, like especially if James Harden plays a lot better next year and fits in well with Embiid and, you know, everything just goes much more smoothly than people expect. I, I think Doc could reap some of that credit. So I, I don't hate that 28 to one. Uh, he is a former winner, but I, I don't think he's won yeah. it since like 2001. So there's enough of a gap he, here. Hasn't he won it twice or did he just win it with Orlando? I think he just won it with Orlando, but let me let me check on that. He did he get one with with Boston as well? I thought he might have gotten Let's one see. with the Clippers. He no, he just he just won the one in 1999, 2000. Yeah. Uh, what you're probably thinking of, James, is he was named one of the 15 greatest coaches ever uh, this past year <laughs> as part of the NBA 75. Yeah, I just I mean I think 28 to one for a team that could be a one seed is just good value if you throw – just don't even – if all you probably told you is this team has a chance to be the one seed and their coach is 28-1 to win coach of the year, I think that's just good value on paper. And, yeah, uh, I mean, did, do you think – do you agree with me about their offseason? Like, I, I just think uh, – I mean, who knows how the personalities are going to mesh and stuff, but I just think they added – in PJ Tucker, uh, DeAnthony Melton, and Daniel House, I think they added three clear roster upgrades without having to give up much at all. And I think Tyrese Maxey's going to be better. And yep, I just yeah, you know, I, I think they're they're it's a really good roster. No, I agree with you on that. I, I think you're right. There, I think the way that they went out. People just kind of decided that they weren't good anymore and Harden is done and, and they're cooked. But no, I, I think you're right. They, I think they're going to be fine. And I think that logic of, you know, coach of potentially best team in conference, uh, that automatically puts you like in the top three uh, of consideration for this award. So I like that. Um, I, I don't want to talk MVP odds because it's basically the exact same names as, as last year. Um, pretty much what you'd expect. There's not a lot of debate to be had uh, with that, but we'll, we'll revisit those once we get closer to the season. 
with Summer League upon us, I do want to talk about Rookie of the Year odds. And Chet Holmgren has recently usurped Paolo Bancaro as the favorite. He's now plus 350 at DraftKings, Bancaro 4-1, to Ivy 5-1, to Jabari Smith uh, plus 650, and then you got Murray, Matherin, Shaden Sharp, Dyson Daniels. Um, how confident are you at this juncture that it will be one of Holmgren and Bancaro? Extremely confident, and I was actually just going to suggest – like throw a hundred bucks on both of them. And if one of them wins, you still come out with a nice profit. I, I may have to do just that. Uh, when, when we get to Vegas on Saturday, if those odds hold, I, I think Bancaro, especially at four to one, um, you know, with Holmgren, you worry about injury. Uh, he, he already twisted his ankle the first game in Vegas, just like <laughs> accident. He accidentally kicked his other foot while running down the court and like collapsed in the heap. Uh, I was very Anthony Davis. Like, um, and then, like we said earlier, you know, you have to worry about, how many games is Holmgren going to play after the all-star break? You know, if he, if he tweaks his hamstring and he could come back in one week, are they just going to say, eh, let's, let's extend it three or four weeks. Um, I, I think Bancaro to me feels like the safer option, even though I think Holmgren is going to be better and more impactful. I think Bancaro might have more of a classic rookie of the year type of season. Yeah. May, maybe you do 150 on Bancaro and, and like 50 on Chet to just sort of head. Yeah. I'll, I'll call you when we get to Circa on Sunday and, you know, maybe I'll, I'll FaceTime you in and, and we can consult on this. <laughs> yeah, that's free money. I mean, I, I know that uh, we didn't hit on everything last year, these award things, but um, I think we did. We did all right. Uh, so that's, that's free money for the listeners. Yeah. I mean, not much else to say about rookie of the year. I think we're in agreement there. I, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to like Matherin at, at 10 to one. You could talk me into it just because it feels like they're, they're maybe going to turn that team over to him uh, and, and Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, but beyond that, I, I don't really love anyone. I mean, uh, maybe, you know, maybe shade and sharp at 12 to one. Um, I mean, he's, that was the, that was the big bummer of summer league was just that he you know, didn't play really. Um, right. But yeah, I I, I, like, I think I think Bank Carroll should be the favorite over Chat for the reasons you kind of mentioned earlier. All right, last one I want to do, and then we'll get out of here. Most improved player, once again, uh, kind of a loaded field. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton opens as the favorite at twelve to one. Anthony Edwards fifteen to one. Uh, Jalen Brunson fifteen to one, and then just a, a slew of names after that: R.J. Barrett, SGA, Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, uh, Simons, Poole, Zion. Um, do, do you have a favorite bet or anyone who jumps out to you? Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty boring, but uh, Anthony Edwards, like, um, I I think they got it right at at the top with Halbert and Edwards. Uh, like, I think Jalen Green's gonna have a monster year. I think Kate Cunningham's gonna have a monster year, but second year players rarely win. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, I think Edwards, like Ed, Edwards, could be third team All NBA. And if the and if the Timberwolves are as good in the regular season as I think they're going to be, you know, the voters are always looking for a way to just reward the, the teams that have kind of earned an award, uh, even if it doesn't necessarily go to the guy that deserved it the most. Like I. You know, Finch at 13-1, Edwards at 15-1 for most improved. I think you kind of have your bases covered there. I I, I love Tyrese Halliburton. I'm shocked that Edwards is not the favorite. I, I think you could list Edwards at like 8-1. to one. 
ahead of Halliburton, and that would make a lot of sense. It, it feels like it's kind of been his summer. He did the movie, um, you know, had a, had a great season last year. Tim Wolves are on the rise. Like everything is pointing toward Anthony Edwards, um, you know, kind of being in, in the driver's seat for this award. But I mean, with Indiana parting ways with Brogdon, uh, potentially getting rid of Miles Turner. I mean, th- there's a pretty clear path, I think, to Halliburton putting up some pretty huge numbers for a bad team. Um, I, I don't love the Jalen Brunson bet at 15 to one. I think he would have to have like a monster statistical year on a team that still has Julius Randle and RJ Barrett. I don't really see that happening. Um, I actually like Barrett better at, at 20 to one. I will say I, I could see this being a year where a, a second year player does win it because we have, we have enough options, right? Where like you could see Kay Cunningham having a huge year. You could see Jalen Green taking a massive step forward. You could see Evan Mobley um, being even more impactful and the Cavs, you know, being a, a top four or five team in the East. Like I, I wouldn't rule that out. Uh, I, I think Green, especially because even though he was good after the break, the Rockets lost almost all those games. And it felt like he was like pretty bad for the first 30 games of the year. And I, I think that's still in some people's head. Like I, I feel like if Jalen Green comes back and averages like 25 points a game on 45% shooting and the Rockets are, are even just a respectable team, I think it would feel like maybe there's a bigger leap there than there actually was compared to how well he was playing at the end of last year. Yeah, I think it's it's a good enough rookie class that uh, yeah, it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. Uh, any of those top three or four guys could just emerge as an All NBA caliber guy in year two and kind of you know pull a Luca uh, slash. Um, well, John was third year, right? Um, but yep, yeah, that was I, third year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's Edwards' award to lose, and and the people these are awards that people vote on, and everyone loves Anthony Edwards. Like, is there have you ever in the past like calendar year have you heard anyone say anything negative about Anthony Edwards? I don't think I've heard a single negative thing about him since the draft process. Yeah, I mean, well, I think he he was pretty inefficient first few months of his rookie year and, you know, they weren't winning games, but basically since the start of last season, he's had a 100% approval rating and he was the best player. I mean, he might've been the best player in that entire playoff series, even better than Ja. Uh, I, yeah, I just, I think it's, 15 to one, I think is a bet that you want to cash before those odds change. Uh, may I offer you James Wiseman at 40 to one? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like that one. I'm going to say it. I will not be betting James Wiseman even at 40 to one. Uh, I think there's definitely a path for Zion Williamson, 25 to one. I think Zion just yeah. staying healthy would be enough for people. Like people will be so like wowed by Zion that him just playing like 67 games, I think might be enough to just hand it to him. Yeah, no, I think 25 to one is solid odds there. Um, I mean, you could maybe even see the same thing with like Michael Porter jr. At 40 to one. Uh, I think, I think like Keldon Johnson is, I think Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell are going to put up, really, really good fantasy numbers on the Spurs this year just because of how gutted that roster is. But I just don't – I don't see any – like, they just don't have the sort of Q rating and they're, the team's going to be so bad that I just don't think there's any chance. Yeah, I mean, Keldon Johnson is the one you could maybe talk me into, but I, I don't know. 30, like, 
the thing with him is like he could have a really good year, but it's like, is he going to be more impressive than Halliburton, Edwards, Brunson, Barrett, SGA, Kate? Like, there's just too many. Like the 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 type of season he would have to have to win this award and supersede all those other guys on a, a weird Spurs team that nobody's going to care about. I I just don't see that happening. Yeah. Um, what about uh, what about De'Aaron Fox at a hundred to one? I, I don't love it, but at a hundred to one, you you could talk to me about it. I mean, it feels like he's he's at that right age, um, you know, where he could kind of make that leap from guy that everybody thinks is pretty good to, you know, if, if he were to sneak his way on as like the final all-star in the West, you know, kind of have a DeJounte Murray type of season. I, I think, I think he could be in the mix. I, I don't think he should be a hundred to one. I'll tell you that. I think he should be probably closer to 50 to one. Yeah. I don't Pokashevsky, believe in Pokashevsky the... 60 to one. What are we doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I don't believe in the Kings. I don't believe in Darren Fox, but I think a hundred to one, just on the off chance that last year was just a kind of a blip on his career. And he's heard everyone talking about how, uh, you know, bad he was last season. And he just spent all off season getting into like really good shape or something like I, He should at least be like 50. To one. Right. I would argue the same about Scotty Barnes, who's 75 to one, uh, or excuse me, 65 to one. I, I don't know why he's not up with the, uh, you know, Kate Cunningham, Jayla Green, tier I, I maybe he was too good as a rookie i think that's the logic behind the odds but i agree with you i i almost brought him up as well i mean he like if you're the raptors and you don't make a play for kevin durant isn't just the natural evolution of your franchise to just be you know we're turning the keys completely over to scotty barnes and he's going to be kind of running point guard and you know, maybe averages like 24, eight and seven or something like that on good efficiency. Right. And he's a good defender. Like I, I definitely see that path. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty nice second option, right? It's like, well, we, we could get Kevin Durant or we could just, you know, put our franchise in the hands of like one of the best young players in the league. And no, that, that could definitely happen. I mean, I think maybe the argument against it is you still have Siakam and Van Vliet. So it won't really be, his show to run necessarily, but um, you know, and at the end of the day, this is, this is like a counting stats award, like many of these. So, you know, he could get a lot better and a lot more impactful, but if he only tacks on two or three more points per game and Jalen green adds like seven points per game, you know, for some voters that seals the deal. Yeah. It's, it's more of just a, the odds are too long that then yeah. it's likely to happen. Type of thing. All right, man. We'll get you out of here. Uh, I know you have a lot of MLB draft prep to do. Uh, looking forward to reading about that, reading about Drew Jones, uh, who I see is, is now the betting favorite uh, to go number one in the MLB draft. But uh, as always, appreciate you taking the time. You'll be missed in Las Vegas, but always fun chatting hoops with you, dude. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, hopefully we can do it again this offseason. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. 
My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.